0: Morning, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do come to you with joyful hearts, once again declaring the salvation that belongs to our God through Christ, our Savior. And so, Father, I pray it is with that salvation in mind that we can sit and listen to your word, God, and receive it uh, with anticipation, receive it uh, with a spirit of obedience and submission, God, to receive it with hopeful expectation of the promises that accompany it. Father, that we would once again just press into you and give you the praise, glory, and worship you so richly deserve. Father, join us now and be with us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, it's good to see everybody this beautiful Sunday morning. Man, you are just trucking right along through July. Isn't it great? We're we're making it, and we're surviving the Texas heat to the best of our ability. Uh, and we're still in Ephesians, believe it or not. And, and it looks like we're going to be there for for still quite a while. We're going to continue our series, and as you remember last week, we kind of started with a new point of emphasis and, and kind of had a new shift as we move our way through chapter 5. And what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks is this section of chapter 5, end of chapter 5, of chapter 6, that focuses in on the household codes, right? What does it look like to live these things out within the home. We're going to look at these unique relationships of husbands and wives, parents and children and slaves and masters, and how we understood them in the time in which this was written, but also how do we apply them to our context today. And so part of what I want to remind you of as we begin this conversation this morning is how this uh, subject matter was introduced in the way in which Paul set the tone with our focus last week. We started with Ephesians 5.21, and this is this opening declaration that really kind of helps establish a framework within which we need to look at these relationships, right? And so, so Paul says on the onset, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. And we, we talked last week about how important it is for us to understand that instruction, right? That submission almost feels uh, counterintuitive for us on a human nature level, that we resist it because the heart of sin leads to pride. If you think back to the garden and that temptation to, to be like God is what, what kind of causes us to rise up and desire to have this autonomy, to have this sense of self, and that's going to go counterintuitive to the idea of submission. And so we have this human level resistance to it. But then we talked about it from a societal level and just cultural level that we've had this emphasis within our country on the self-esteem movement that has led to kind of this idea of self- autonomy moral authority moral autonomy that that again doesn't tend to create this embracing mindset of subordination right we don't like to submit to others and so when you start to hear this teaching in church it's really hard to figure out man how do i live this out so we acknowledge some of those difficulties but 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 we're we're trying to make this point that this is the way of christ right christ lived a life of considering other people's needs greater than his own and so his followers must do the same and so it's not just submitting to the lordship of Jesus, but that this, this tone for this section is submitting to one another. right? It's mutual submission. This is what should be on display within the church. And we, we create this sort of atmosphere of mutual submission out of reverence for Jesus. right? So, so reverence is being overwhelmed by the love and the authority of Jesus. And part of what we see with 521 is that one of the most reverent things we can do is to live a life of submission. Right? That's the posture of reverence that Paul is teaching on here. And so that's the, that's the framework. right? And it's not just for a few of us. All of us need to embrace that mindset. And so that's what sets the tone for this discussion for the household codes that we're going to be walking through over the next few weeks. Now, before we get into it this morning, I want to zoom out even further and remind you of some of the other themes that we see, have seen play out through the course of this letter. Themes like unity. Right, that In the first few chapters, Paul talks about how everything is going to be brought together under Christ. They're going to find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. There's this cosmological unity that everything is moving towards being brought under Jesus. And then you get to chapter 4, and what does Paul say for the church? As the church, you should what? Be unified, right? That you should come together. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, right? There's unity within the church. And so now he's taking it just one more level deep. So, so now in your home, there should be unity. Unity between husband and wife, parent, child, slave, master, all these different things, right? So it's this, this developing progression of unity. Think about the, the theme of love that we've seen repeatedly in this letter, right? Bear with one another in love, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven you. Walk in the way of love. That's how chapter five started, right? Walk in the way of love. And then we see that you do that by living as children of light, being filled with the spirit that leads to wisdom and worship and submission so all these themes are going to kind of come together and play themselves out in this household code paul is now saying this is what this all looks like in a very practical way and so let's continue with this teaching and uh, i had a good friend point out to me last week a lot of times i instinctively say if you have your bibles turn to ephesians 5 let me just take this as an opportunity at her uh, urging have your bible Right? It's a good thing to have. And if you don't have one, let us know. We will make sure that we can get you one. So let's grab our Bibles and let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and pick up in verse 22. Paul writes, Wives, submit, to your hu- submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's a beautiful passage uh, and creates a beautiful picture of this thing we call marriage. And so here's how we're going to tackle it today. We're not going to work through it verse by verse, word by word, line by line, as insightful as I think that could potentially be. What I want to do is spend just a few minutes here on the front part of this message trying to speak to the historical context uh, within which this this passage is written, uh, but also giving ourselves a reminder of a biblical lens that we need to have anytime we read about marriage or think about marriage from our perspective. And then the second half of the message, we're going to really try to land it in the practical arena how do we live this out today and i'm going to have some help doing that here a little bit later so let me just briefly hit on a few of these things the the historical context for uh, this time period within which paul is writing this letter is important to keep in mind whenever you consider a discussion on marriage and part of that is because in in greco-roman society uh, the household code was an important part for them seen as a gateway to maintaining stability and health for the state for society Okay, The the two we're seeing is very interrelated. To, To drive this point home, let me read for you a quote from Aristotle that really kind of captures the philosophy of this day. Here's what Aristotle says. Now that it is clear what are the component parts of the state, we have first of all to discuss household management. For every state is composed of households. The investigation of everything should begin with the smallest parts. And the primary and smallest parts of the household are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children he uses the same three categories that paul has used we ought therefore to examine the proper constitution and character of each of these three relationships i mean that of mastership that of marriage and thirdly the progenitive relationship so so what you see here is that the philosophy of the time was stable household equals stable state stable society Households are made up of these three categories and these sort of relationships, and so we want to maintain a healthy household. If, if the household becomes unstabilized, then that can become a threat to society. It's a good word for us even today, right? And so that was part of the narrative. So what happens then is when religion gets introduced, there was this weariness or wariness, I guess you could say, within the Greco-Roman society of any religion that would take women and slaves away from the household, right? Because what was assumed is that in in a marriage or in a household, the woman and or the wife and the slave had to embrace and adhere to the religion of the husband or master. Okay, so Christianity comes on the scene, right? And appeals to everyone. And women start believing in Jesus and, and slaves start believing in Jesus. And so there becomes this tension of is the gospel, is this movement of Christianity a rebellious movement against society and the state? You can see where Greco-Roman society would start looking at it with some concern. So so that's part of of one of the reasons this is a common question and a common part of Paul's discussion, because when you think about the gospel, it is not a gospel of rebellion, right? Think of, of the times that Jesus said, I haven't come to lead a rebellion, right? You think about other teachings in the New Testament say, live at peace with everyone. Romans 13, submit to your authorities. The last thing that was ever taught was that this needed to be a movement against some sort of established state and authority. And so part of what Paul's trying to say is, no, 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 we are not rebellious. We we adhere to that which creates a a stable state, a stable society. We believe in a stable home as well, right? So on one hand, he's affirming that, and yet it is incredibly revolutionary, right? On, On one hand, it was falling in line with an understanding of these codes and saying, no, we, we believe in an order as well. But at the same time, it was incredibly countercultural, right? It was, it was changed from within. How did that happen? Well, what's not radical about what we just read is the first part, wives submit to your husbands, right? That, that was kind of common expectation. That was common knowledge in the society was that the wife had a certain obligation to the husband. What was different was that Paul continued and actually gave obligations for the husband to the wife that is what was so different, right? It, it was often seen that wives could even be viewed as property, right? Marriage wasn't viewed with that sort of highly esteem. And now Paul's saying, well, actually, the husbands, you have just as much responsibility, if not more so to your wife. And that drastically changed things. So, so the, re, the relationship that the husband is being challenged to is one of sacrificial love. That was never part of the household code in a Greco-Roman society, right? And so, so part of what we need to see is the submission that is being discussed here is not just a blind submission to men, okay? This is not Paul saying women are inferior and need to submit to men no matter the situation or circumstance, not at all. This is within the context of a Christian marriage where submission is being given to sacrificial love, right? It's not an excuse for men to to do whatever they want, go about the whims. It's only if this husband is actually sacrificially loving you. That's what you're submitting to. And so submission and sacrificial love are two sides of the same coin, right? Yes, there is a headship, so to speak, of, that we'll talk about in a little bit, that is, is being admonished here, but the headship that the man is leading with is a, not one of self-assertion, but one of self-sacrifice, right? So, So those two things complement one another, and in Paul's argument, and from a biblical perspective, give the home a much firmer foundation than even what you would have found in society. So it was incredibly revolutionary. But you can hopefully see from some of that why it was so readily discussed, right? Now, in addition to that, I want to quickly address some of the biblical perspective that we need to have anytime we have a conversation on marriage, right? Now, one of the things I want to say on the onset here is that the Bible continually and consistently affirms singleness, okay? And so a lot of times what will happen in the church is we'll have conversations of marriage and we start to idolize marriage and we elevate it to this status and and act like it's going to fulfill you in ways that nothing else can when in reality only Jesus does that, right? There are numerous times where singleness is affirmed. Paul even says it's better and all the married people said amen. Just kidding, right? But like seriously, he says this is a better way to live. And, and Jesus was single. So I don't want to have a conversation today that minimizes singleness, right? Uh, so we need to have that uh, established on the onset of this conversation. In addition to that, one of the things that we want to point out is there is a concept within scripture of the created order that takes us back to creation that I think is very important anytime you have this conversation. So, so in creation, you have male and female. And when God brings woman to Adam, what does he say? He says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's this beautiful moment, right, where where Adam discovers nothing else in creation exists like Eve, right? And there's this sameness, right? There's this equality, so to speak, that, that is introduced in that moment. And yet they were distinct, very different, distinctly male, distinctly Female complementing each other in ways that that only they could complement one another, and there was this beautiful union that took place, right? And, and this joining together of one flesh elevated this relationship above all other earthly relationships, which is why God says, "For this reason, you will leave mother and father, right? It is it is the most important earthly relationship." Now, then, what happens? Sin, right? The curse. And so you have this this created order that was in place, this beautiful union of two distinctly different and yet similar people, and then sin happens, and a curse is handed out. And what is part of that curse that God hands out to the woman? Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. That's not a good thing. But it is the reason I can stand up here and say for thousands of years of human history, we've had issues with patriarchy right? Because of the curse. And so so now the gospel is trying to reimagine what was intended from the beginning while still dealing with some of the constraints and the limitations of the curse. Because here's the deal with the curse. Even though you find freedom from it in the gospel, even though we find hope to overcome it in the gospel, we still live within the constraints of it, right? There's still pain and childbearing part of the curse, They're still working by the sweat of your brow, part of the curse, right? We're still wearing clothes, part of the curse. You just don't undo these things. So there's still this this tension of headship, right, between husband and wife. And so what, what the gospel does and says, let's not exalt the curse. Let's exalt the beauty that can exist within the curse by promoting sacrificial love that is found in Christ Jesus. Right? And so we have to, you you can't get around some of that tension that exists in the scripture, but Jesus comes in and redeems it. Okay? Now, the last thing that I want to point out before we try to land it in the practical is this imagery that that Paul brings forth in this conversation. Right? So again, a difference. In Greco-Roman society, marriage was contractual. Right? It was not religious. It was not sacred. It was not meaningful. Right? It was contractual. And so now Paul brings in all this depth and he weaves within this discussion this imagery of Jesus and the church. Right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ. Loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what do you picture? You picture the sacrifice on the cross, right? Uh, cleanse her, wash her. He c- Care about her her holiness, care about her beauty, her radiance, right? All these things that you need to be entrusted with. You, you care for her like you would care for your own body, just as Christ cares for the church, which is his body. We're the body of Christ. And so this imagery creates this incredible, rich and profound meaning that ultimately part of what I want us to hear today is telling us that your marriage, your home, needs to point to the love of Jesus, right? It needs to reflect the gospel. What a beautiful task to be entrusted with, but what a lofty one to try and ascertain. So the question becomes, how in the world do you do that? And that's what I want us to talk about for the second part of this marriage. I want us to try to Or this discussion. I want to try to land it in practical terms. What does this look like today? And as I was preparing uh, and thinking through this and I was reading, I was like, I don't want to be the only one up here sharing all this because my perspective is only one half of the equation. And so I'm very pleased and honored and excited to let you know that Jennifer, my wonderful wife, is going to be joining me here in just a moment to help provide another perspective. And we're going to do our best to land it in the practical world, and just be uh, pretty forthcoming and, and transparent to the best of our ability today. Let's turn your mic back on, make sure we're, we're good to go. You have it on?
1: Is this a thing? A Can anyone hear me? There we go.
0: We got it. <laughs> I don't awesome. know
1: about these things. Okay.
0: Awesome. So uh, anyway, I, I wanted to invite really Jennifer nice. to be a part of this conversation today. And let me just say on the onset, by no means do we expect to present ourselves as having the perfect marriage uh, at all. Uh, this is more of an attempt for us to just be Thank transparent and, and to be uh, hopefully vulnerable in a way that is relatable, Maybe. there we go, that is relatable and, but at the same time encouraging uh, to, to let you know we're like anyone else trying to figure out how do you bring uh, the gospel into your marriage. We're two people that love each other and love Jesus and have all sorts of mistakes and failures along the way. And so I uh, wanted to allow her to share some of her perspective and us just uh, visit a little bit. And so to get us started off, Jen, uh, I know not everybody knows our story. So why don't you just give some background on our relationship, how we met and when you first fell in love.
1: <laughs> well, hey, everybody, it's good to be back. Um, I'm not comfortable with this thing. I'm gonna like mess with it probably, but, <laughs> um, but yeah. So we, uh, Jeremiah and I met when we were in college and um, we, we were in a, a class together that was uh, called Perspectives on the World Christian Muv- Movement. It was like a missions class. Um, I think I went into college knowing like, I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life in some form or fashion, whether it was just going overseas and being a missionary for the rest of my life, or if that was local, I just didn't know what it looked like, but I was pretty clear that that's what God had called me to do. And um, so anyway, we, we it was a class that was, we both went to OU, but it was a class that was like through a church, so it wasn't like a college course at OU, but through the community. Um, so anyway, so we met there and um, kind of, it was neat to see that we shared an interest because I had kind of gotten to a point in my life where I was very comfortable with um, the idea that maybe I wouldn't get married because A lot of the people I had dated in the past weren't really in line with what I felt was important in life. And um, so I had just kind of felt a lot of freedom in saying, well, then I'm just going to pursue the things I felt called to do and and that's okay. And like if there's nothing, no marriage that comes out of that, that's fine. But then I met Jeremiah who had very similar interests in um, the gospel and the nations. And so he took the class and we met there. And then we had gone on a spring break mission trip to Mexico, and that kind of further solidified the, okay, I like this guy a lot, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but I think it was neat because we, we were very different, and even when we were dating, I was like, we're not anything alike. Like, he he likes way different things than I do. We have different interests, but we had the, this very core uh, belief um, that really kind of united us. So I would kind of, in a nutshell, say that's it's a good the story, right? So
0: so we'll be hitting 16 years next month. Yeah, yeah. not too Long bad. Time. 16 years. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, have probably lived in three or four different cities, three or four different homes. Yeah. Three children and a whole lot of lessons that we're learning along the way. And so uh, it, it was definitely one of those things that when we met, I think one of the things that drew me to Jennifer was um, her love for Jesus. And she just had this reputation of, of being someone that loved Christ and and was passionate about being fully committed to his call in her life. And that's really what kind of drew me into her. And, and I think that was something that has continued to be thematic for our relationship. Uh, and one of the things that I think we've we've shared with so many different young couples that we've walked through with premarital counseling is just uh, there is no like one way to do marriage, right? It's two broken people with two different backgrounds coming together with a whole lot of different uh, expectations. And so what we always tell these young couples is, we're gonna share and maybe it helps you, maybe you walk away and think we're crazy, but if nothing else, it gives you a perspective and something to talk about. And I think that's kind of our desire today is we'll share a little bit of how we're trying to make sense of this passage in our lives. And hopefully at the very least, it gives you guys something to think about and consider as well. And so with that being said, um, let's, let's talk about Ephesians Five here in this whole idea of submission to your husbands, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And uh, part of what we thought would be beneficial is how we see these things in each other, uh, and maybe starting there. But then also kind of acknowledging some of the struggles uh, that we have, maybe personally, in pursuing that. And so I'll, I'll get us started on that uh, part with with the what I've seen with Jennifer in trying to live out Ephesians five twenty two through twenty four is I think one of the things that I've loved about Jennifer is uh, we're always pretty transparent and open with each other's thoughts and <laughs> emotions. Uh, there's not a lot of a hey, we're, we're having to guess how the other one feels in our home. Uh, and so I think what's been great about that transparency and that communication is that we've been able to have a lot of raw challenging and hard conversations but it, it brings us into a greater understanding of who we are. And I know that through the course of these 16 years as we have tried to pursue the gospel, there have been numerous moments where Jennifer has stepped out of her comfort zone for, for me to help pursue my calling or for our family to pursue our calling, right? And so you think about going to seminary out in California. I mean, most of Jennifer's family lives really close in Oklahoma, and so to go to Pasadena was a huge step for her. Even, even moving to Texas afterwards was a huge step for her. And we've had, you know, several milestones in our lives where we've sat down and we've prayed together and we've tried to figure out, okay, what do we feel like the Lord is leading us to? And every single step of the way, I have felt nothing but support, right? And But not just like blind support, like, here's how I feel, here's what will be challenging, here's what would be hard, here's what I would like, but I trust you and I'm with you. And... Uh, that has been an incredible bedrock for our marriage and so i I hope she knows i hope you do know how much i appreciate that and and then obviously i think the other thing i would offer is that jennifer loves jesus and uh, she and i were talking about this this morning that it's really hard to figure out how to submit to to anyone in a relationship if there's not this practice of submission to christ right that that's really the the instruction it's not just submit it's submit as you would to the lord and so, you know, Jennifer's in the word. She, she prays, she engages on so many different ways. And I know that her, her walk with the Lord is stable uh, and is, is confident and sure. And so I think that also is a bedrock to our marriage. And I'm grateful for the way that she practices that. But let me, let me ask you, when you read a verse like that and you see what it says for wives, how do you take it? What's, what's the hard, what's the, the good about it?
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I think a lot of it for me goes back to your your beliefs and i've been talking about this a lot even with my friendships lately um or even with my own kids um i think what what you believe about marriage is is very much rooted in what you believe about god like how deeply like what do you really believe in um because that's going to shape your marriage and so when i think about the church and christ it's like what was the purpose what was the purpose for christ was it, you know, to spread the gospel? Because this was the news that the world needed to hear. And so when I think of that, I think, so if you have Christ, without Christ, there's no church, right? Like if you don't have Christ, you don't have a church. But if you don't have um, a church to spread the gospel of Christ, it's, it's just like they don't work without one another. And um, and so sometimes I think about this submission, like when the word submission comes um i have to think about how daily like that's just a huge part of my daily routine and it's not perfect i mean i'm not even going to pretend like it's perfect but but it really is like the moment i realize i'm not seeking the lord first are is the moment everything crumbles it's like the foundation of everything um and it's what i believe in and so that is like a big question and i think it's okay i think in the christian church there's this stigma is, is if you have some unbelief of some sort, like it's like, how dare you not believe something? And, and I think you go through these journeys in time, but at the core of who I am, I know that I believe like in this, I believe everything in this Bible, I believe it. And I believe that my need for the Lord, my submission to the Lord, and I feel like the word submission has been like ruined in our culture, but, but just the way I, I seek him first, um, reminds me so much of marriage and like Christ and the church. And so I, I think a lot of that, um, I think without Christ, you can't have the church. Without the church, you can't spread the gospel of Christ. Um, and so like without one, you can't have the other. And I guess how I see it in our family is, um, it's, a, it's just mutual, like we, we try our hardest to submit to one another in different ways. There's lots of things that we do that are definitely something I pushed. And I was like, I really wanna do this. I believe in this. I I know it's gonna be harder, but this is something I feel like God's calling us to do. And it may be something that Jeremiah is very uncomfortable with, but that he will begin to pray and say, well, if God's put that on your heart, then this is what we have to do. So that's how I see it, I think, in you. And then just your um, desire to seek the Lord and what we do, um, I think is good. I think at the heart of it all, So much goes back to the heart, right? So, when there's decisions that we're making about whatever, if I feel like the heart is not in a good place on one or the other, then that's when I think problems happen. Yeah. So,
0: we're waiting to have a problem in our marriage. We have no problems. We still haven't hit those (laughs) yet. So, at some point. Uh, I think, too, you know, from my vantage point, when you read a passage like this and the challenge for husbands, love your wife is Christ loved the church and gave himself up for You think about sacrificial love, and, um, and that's such a challenging thing to practice. I mean, and, and we see that in every relationship, and I see it challenging on two different levels. One is, is just learning how to express love to one another. Uh, so when we've talked with a lot of these young couples before that are getting ready to go in marriage, we always recommend the five love languages just because it seemed to resonate with us and helped us communicate and understand that how I might uh, default to sharing love or expressing love and wanting to receive love could be very different than how she wants to express love or she wants to receive love. Jennifer is a quality time person and, and I am more of a physical touch, acts of service person. And so I can go through an entire day doing things that I think are demonstrating love, but if it's not how she receives love, then we're not on the same page and that can create strife and that can create conflict and then vice versa. And so it's, it sounds really neat when you read it, love your wife, but even that has a lot of nuances to it, you know, and understanding um, how somebody wants to be loved and, and how they're going to receive love is, is quite a journey. And so I think there have definitely been seasons where we've not been able to connect because we weren't speaking that same sort of language as we were trying to demonstrate love to one another. And then the other part that I think is so difficult uh, with what I see being presented there to the husbands is the self-sacrifice part, which is you just, human nature, you, you want things your way, you know? And there are so many times where the devil can use that to say, ah, oh, see, you, you didn't get your way, or you know better, or you should have done this, and you know, this, this should have happened, and you start to have resentment and frustration, and that starts to create distance in your marriage right? Well, that's the opposite of the spirit of sacrifice. I mean, how many times did, did Jesus continue to demonstrate surrender and sacrifice for the very people he was sent to save? And, and so I think there's a constant work of sanctification going on in my life where I realize, okay, that is a fleshly impulse that you're feeling wronged or disrespected in this moment, that your, your real responsibility is to surrender your desires and just continue to give yourself to your wife. And in a sacrificial way. And that is super hard, right? Very, very difficult. And, and I think, uh, you know, I would say we've <clears throat> gone through seasons, right? Like seasons where you could come talk to us and we're like, yeah, this, this is great, man. The marriage is awesome and we're in a good spot. And then other seasons where it is just like brutally difficult and, and not easy at all. Um, and so part of what we've tried to figure out is how do we navigate those seasons in a way that still points back to the gospel, which was kind of the other perspective I wanted you to share this morning, which is, as you think about our marriage and things we've done together, how do you feel like a marriage can best point to the gospel, and how do we try to do that?
1: Um, Well, I, you know, I kind of take it back to You know, when I became like a solid believer, I don't know if you guys can think back to like, I mean, I was baptized when I was like seven or eight or something like that, but then it was more in high school when it all became like a reality, like what I was submitting my life to and giving myself to. And for me, one of the biggest attractions, I don't know if that's the right word, but one of the biggest things that really drew me in to my strong belief in the Lord is um, how countercultural it was, I love that. I love that the gospel is like, it's like every human inclination you naturally have is like flipped up on itself, which which is what makes it such a head scratcher, you know, for people that see a believer um, following, you know, what God has called them to do, because it doesn't always make any kind of sense. It may be saying, you know, like, you know, like in the Bible, it says, you know, the least, the last shall be first, and, you know, turn the other cheek, like all these things, um, and I remember just as a, a teenager and, and like in my early 20s, just being like, you know, I've lived like you, it's such a human nature to have this like desire to do what the self wants to do. But it's so different when you go the opposite direction. And so I think the thing that really drew me to like the gospel was because it made no kind of sense. I'm like, why would someone live this life and give it up just so others could live that just made that just was mind-boggling to me and and it's special because it's something that we hear over and over again in sunday school and on sunday morning but it's really an amazing it's an amazing belief that that we have you know um and so so that that's kind of like where i you know counterculture is when i think of what marriage what was the question you said how does marriage best reflect the gospel it's a marriage that is selfless um and it, you know, when I was in, uh, I work in the, well, who knows what's going to happen with school, right? But I, I've been a school nurse this past year at our school, and I had a sixth grade boy come in one day, and, you know, he, he had some things he was dealing with, that, which brought him to my office, but he goes, you know, we were waiting on something, maybe his parents to show up, I can't remember, but he goes, um, what do you think the meaning of life is? No, he didn't even ask me that. He said, you know what? I've been thinking about this for a long time. I think I know what the meaning of life is. And he said, the meaning of life is to figure out what makes you happy and then to do that. To just seek out what, like, what makes you have happiness in life and then you go do that. And that is the meaning of life. And so, you know, we had a little conversation. And I love the older kids because, you know, you can talk like that with them. And um, anyways, uh, and it got me thinking when I got home and I thought, you know, that's, so interesting, because I don't feel like my meaning of my life is to find my happiness. I feel like my meaning in my life is to reflect God's glory in all that I do, and I really do. I, that's, that's what's pointed me towards so many decisions I've made in life, including marrying you, and, um, and the way we raise kids, and the way we, you know, live our lives. Um, but I thought of that, and I thought, man, if that was my goal in our marriage, if Jeremiah was supposed to be like my you know, he brings me happiness, which you do bring me happiness. <laughs> um, but that's a lot of pressure to put on one person to say, like, my daily happiness is completely dependent on you and how you treat me. So this relationship is the one relationship that will make me happy forever. And so I think when we go into, like, marriage with the mindset of this person's always going to make me happy every single day, which I think you do, like, don't get me wrong. Like, you want to marry someone that makes you happy. Hello. Um, you don't want to be miserable, but, um, but I think where I see like things being twisted is where that is like your one and only source of your happiness. And so, um, so I think a marriage that is rooted in the goal of not being like, I'm here so you can make me happy and you're here so I will make you happy is, um, is not what I see as a reflection of the gospel in marriage. I see it as we together are going to Find ways to find, to tell people about the glory of God. And in that, there's happiness. Like there's joy in that, which doesn't always equal, like it's the easy path, you know? And so sometimes when you seek marriage in that way, you find yourself making hard choices that you're like, this is for sure gonna be harder for our family, without a doubt. But we feel like this is how this little blip of life that we get to live on this planet, this is how we wanna spend it because we think it's gonna reflect God's glory more. And so you 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 seek life in that way, and it's not easy, and it's not always, like, happy every day, um, but it's it's good, and it's fulfilling. And I think happy and easy are, like, what we are looking for, right? Like, what's, give me a happy meal, you know? <laughs> like, go through the drive through get me, like, what I would need quickly. Um, and so happy and easy, to me, have just been things that I just see so much, like, on social media or whatever I'm reading, and it, there's, like, this like desire to find something that makes you happier to do something like I wanna lose this much weight and I want it to be easy, you know? And I don't know, I just feel like marriage isn't set out to be always, it's not always set out to be happy and easy. Sometimes it's okay and it's needing to be said, like it's hard and I think you have a hard day in marriage or you have a hard day with your relationship with your boyfriend or whoever, girlfriend, whoever you're with and you suddenly are like, this is wrong. I made the wrong decision. This is not right for me. Um, instead of saying like, it's supposed to be hard. It's not always easy and that's okay. Um, and I mean, even in Jeremiah and I's relationship, I mean, I will never be like sitting on this platform to say we got it figured out. I mean, we have a marriage counselor that we see and we love, he's great. We love Jimmy. Jimmy's the best. You need Jimmy. (laughs) Everyone needs a Jimmy, (laughs) but, um, but those are good things and that's okay. You know, um, counseling and things like that that help keep your marriage on track are just for some reason like looked at like i told a friend like yeah we went and saw a counselor for our marriage you know he's great we love him blah, blah, blah. and they were like oh i'm so sorry i'm like no it's good like counseling is that's a good thing and so we've sought counseling for parts of our marriage um so anyways i guess i don't know i'm kind of rambling on and on I'm great but uh, <laughs> i love it but i i think my main point is that The gospel is never was I don't believe whoa whoa hi I have to go on. hold on just keep it where you had it. Okay, there we go. Um my main point is that marriages are worth fighting for, obviously, if it's dysfunctional in the sense of abuse or things like that. That's a whole nother like morning on the platform, you know. Um this is more of a working through issues in your marriage kind of a talk, I would say, or even just not even if you're not even married just the concept of a marriage, you know. Um, but I think, like, my main point that I would say is, um, you know, you, t- you take two individuals that are from brokenness. Um, my family's so different than Jeremiah's family, right? <laughs> I love my father-in-law. He's here. Um, we come from totally different backgrounds, totally different states, totally different examples of marriage, different siblings, the way we were raised. And then you're, like, expected to live in the same house and figure it out and, and to be the same. And it's not, you know. And so I think my what I've learned the most in marriage is that it's it's, it's, it's two or more gathered, and there the Lord is. You know, you, you make the decision to get married so you will be a deeper reflection of the glory of God. And if that's not there, then you, you, you're single, you know. And so for us, like, we fight for that. It's important for us um, it's hard and it's, um, but it's worth the fight. And there's a, there's a little plaque that I have in my, well, we used to have it on our mantle. And then I brought it up to the school and it's, who knows if she really said this, you know, all these quotes from people. I'm like, I don't know. Did they really say that? But it's a mother Teresa quote. And it says, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And I just love it. And I, I put it right behind me in my office at our public school. And people always walk in, they're like, I love that. And I'm like, well, you know, I believe it. Like, I truly believe it. Like, if we can love our families, um, starting with the most important part of it, which is the marriage of, of the husband and wife, um, if, if we can really fight for that, like, that is how you can change a world. Um, you start at home, and you see brokenness all around you. And a lot of times, like even last night, I had I hung up with some friends, and we were talking through some issues that – their friends were having or things like that. And we were like, well, let's talk about that. Where did they come from? Tell us about their family. Like you always want to know, where'd you come from? What was your family like? And so I just think that it starts with the marriage. Um, and it's, it's important and it's, um, it's worth the fight. And it's not supposed to be easy. And it's not supposed to be, um, you know, this quick fix when there are issues. But it's worth, it's worth jumping in and fighting for.
0: And I love that phrase that she offered there at the beginning of it being countercultural. I think that's the essence of the gospel is your home should look different, right? Your your close relationship should look different because it's being and is transformed by the love of Jesus. And so I'm gonna ask Jennifer to pray for our marriages and our relationships and our loved ones and our homes here in a second. And uh, before she does that, you know, what I would, would add to to a couple of her comments is just that, you know, I think when you when you consider the the sinful nature that all of us carry, uh, you're gonna have to figure out how to extend grace to one another. and I think that's something that, that Jennifer and I have have practiced through the years and I think what we would both say is that the further into the relationship in some ways the harder it gets to practice it because the more you know someone, the more you know how to hurt someone. And the easier it is because you just know the one thing to say or how to say it and you and then, When you do it, that person knows you did it. And so it's really difficult, right? Like there's a challenge there, but that's where grace can flourish even more. And so it's this ending journey, this incredible journey into understanding the depths of God's love for us. and, And the grace that he extends to us. And so from a practical standpoint, I would just summarize by saying, love Jesus Right? It starts there. And because I know she loves Jesus, and, and I'm trying to love Jesus, that's where it starts. You know, this is not a marriage where it's like, I am husband, follow me. We come together. We talk together. We pray together. We listen to one another. There are times where she says, I really feel God is calling us to do this. And I say, great, let's do it. And then vice versa. And it's, it is a mutual journey together. Um, And and to her point, what what is so beautiful about it is that what really governs our decisions in life is his calling and his purpose, not what's easy. You know, uh, being a pastor and being a pastor's wife is not easy, but it's fulfilling. Uh, Adoption is not easy, but it's meaningful, right? And I think that's uh, where we can begin to really exemplify the gospel is choosing meaning over ease and happiness. And so I'm grateful that I have an amazing partner pursue that with. And so with that being said, would you just take some time to close this moment in prayer and pray for our our church and all these relationships? And last
1: thing I'd say, sorry, I'm a talker here. Um, Last thing I would say is if you are like going through like a really rough patch in marriage or a relationship, any relationship really, I I really do encourage you to speak to somebody. You know, you can talk to me, you can talk to Jeremiah, uh, but that it's really important to talk to someone about it, obviously with your own spouse. But there's just a lot of, I think, healing that happens when when you can discuss that and have other people pray for you. Because um, sometimes you're so deep in it that you just can't even see. Like you you can't, you, you don't have any way to, to, to pray for yourself in those moments. So I just think that's really important too. So that's all I'll say about that. Awesome, okay. why don't you pray for us? All right, dear Jesus, thank you so much for this day. We um, pray just for the marriages that are represented in this room um and in those who are watching um we also just pray god that you would um help us lord we know that marriage is the hardest yet uh, most important relationship if uh, in our lives and it's it's such a one that the enemy just really loves to to destroy and so we pray that you would just uh, help us all hold fast to uh, to you first and to love you um, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to know how to to use that love to love um, our spouse and those around us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.